Us, media, let's do something that looks really terrible, but it's actually kind of cool. <laughs> so it's fun. We have electricity and stuff like that, uh, but at the same time, we have action cues and everything in there. So it's fun. Uh, if you guys, honestly, if, if, even if you don't know anything about media, uh, like anything that goes on back there, um, we could still use uh, people that we could train. Um, we need some more people for, to run the lights um, to help. Uh, with the sound, um, some people, the, the clicky thing that he was talking about, that's really all you have to do for ProPresenter. Um, he's just clicking on the next slide as we go. Um, you can even use spacebar or the arrow keys. I mean, you have options, okay? Um, so if it's like troubleshooting, all right. Um, there's lots of options. If you're at all interested in that or you're looking for a place to serve, um, talk to Adam or myself afterwards, and we can take you to Tokyo, Paris, or the Great Beyond. Right? Um, We'll, te we'll teach you everything that you need to know, and you can learn as much as you want. Um, I'd love to teach you guys some of that. Um, but with that said, let's go ahead and jump into our lesson today. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians uh, chapter 2. <sighs> so Matt asked me to preach uh, this week. It's kind of a fill-in week, and um, something I always struggle with, uh, with with preaching, is it gets, first of all, it's a lot easier. Um, the more in a routine you can stay. Uh, so going week to week to week to week and doing it helps a lot. Uh, going five months in between <laughs> makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, and it's, it, it's a lot different than leading a, a Bible study. Um, but uh, I hope you guys are excited about this week. It's not just a filler week, um, as I'm going to talk about with some of the stuff that's gone on this week. Uh, first thing I want to say, though, is, guys, if you're not praying for Matt on a weekly and daily basis, you need to be, okay? Um, <laughs> it took me forever to figure out where God wanted me to go um, this Sunday. And uh, and even before that, the distractions were just rampant through my life. And uh, I don't usually suffer from distractions a lot. I, well, I may procrastinate some. Um, I don't lose sight of what I need to do at least. And uh, this week is just crazy, and thing after thing after thing kept coming. And I realized yesterday that it's because, um, and some of you guys saw my Facebook thing, it wasn't meant to be a joke, it was a plea for, for prayer. Um, the target switched from him to me this week, um, as far as preaching is concerned, uh, for Satan. And uh, it made it a interesting week. Um, so that's what he experiences on a weekly basis. And uh, as the person who brings the word to us the most, you need to be praying for him, okay? Um, trust me. I know it's, it's typically something that you might only learn from experience, like uh, I was reminded this week, and most of you guys will never preach, so just trust me, <laughs> okay? You need to be praying for him on a daily basis uh, because the amount of distraction, the amount of time that he has throughout the week um, will, will reflect in, in our corporate growth together and, and in what he's able to bring on Sunday. So um, with that, let's, uh, let's talk about our message today. I've kind of got like three titles um, because it all kind of works. Um, in your notes, it says the disciples will. Up there, you have two other ones. All signs point to yes, and then you have discerning the will of God in your life. Um, all of that, yes, that's what we're talking about today. It's kind of a broad topic, um, but what I... And, and typically, when, you, when you're going to write a paper or when you're going to give a speech, you're supposed to narrow your topic down, right? 
So you can give specific information about what you're specifically talking about. Otherwise, you get lost and you end up with like 50 dead rabbits after you're done shooting all the rabbit trails, right? Um, this is a very broad topic. But what's cool about this is the solution to what we're looking for is a very specific thing. Okay? And because it's a specific thing, I think we'll be able to tackle it pretty well today. Um, so, all signs point to yes. That is a, uh, a shout-out to the Magic 8-Ball, right? Um, how many of you guys have owned a Magic 8-Ball at any time in your life? Okay, how many of your parents thought that they were on equal playing ground with a Ouija board? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> There's a few of them. Um, yeah, Magic 8 Balls, you, you've seen them in class when you were kids, you've seen your kids bring them home, whatever it may be. Um, you're at least all familiar with the Magic 8 Ball, right? Well, you guys have heard some of the, uh, me and, and Brian and a couple other people refer to the book that I was reading called Imaginary Jesus, right? And there's a bunch of different Jesuses. It's who, Jesus is who we want him to be, or at least the Jesus that we follow us. Um, and they have all different types of Jesuses, right? So we have free will Jesus, we have... Uh, I can't see the future, don't know what's coming, Jesus. Uh, we have um, men's retreat Jesus, right, where you go on a men's retreat and you're camping in the woods and you hear about this Jesus that's a carpenter and he's throwing, he's like swinging four by four beams at people, right? So we got super macho uh, men's retreat Jesus and then you have Magic 8-Ball Jesus in that book. Um, Magic 8-Ball Jesus is fun because you can talk to him. He has five positive responses, five negative responses, and ten neutral responses, right? So are you Jesus? Try again later. Are you Jesus? Things not looking so good. Are you Jesus? All signs point to yes, <laughs> right? Um, is that the Jesus that you want to follow? No. I mean, every time you go to God and you say, what am I supposed to do today? Try again later. How do I try again later today? <laughs> um, it doesn't work that way. Um, one of the most common questions that, that we... Um, we encounter when it comes to, to counseling or anything like that um, is what's God's will for my life? For some of you guys, you've already lived through most of God's will for your life. No offense. Um, <laughs> not, but it's not over yet, okay? Um, for some of you guys, you, you just got saved and you have never even asked the question, what is God's will for my life? For some of you guys, you're in the middle of it. You just found it and you're starting to work through it. Whatever it is, um, is a very common question. Is what is God's will for my life? And it can happen at any age, um, whether you're older, whether you're in your mid forties, whether you have kids, don't have kids, whether you're in college, whether you're in high school, um, trying to figure out where to go to college, all those things. Um, finding and understanding God's will is is a tough thing. It's a very common problem that we encounter. So. Um, the bad news is there's countless people who are confused and wondering, how do I find God's will for my life? It's very common. The good news is God's will is not lost. Okay? We don't have to find it because it was never lost. It's just like my keys. Okay? Um, we, this is a, a thing that goes on at our house. I leave my keys in the exact same spot. I put them there when I come in, and I pick them up when I leave, and they're always there most of the time. All right? So I never have to seek to find my keys. They're not lost. I know where they are. How can, you, how can you have to search and find something that's not lost, right? All of your cars are out there, right? You know where they are. <laughs> you don't have to seek for them. They're there. Um, so God's will is equally, it's not lost. We don't have to find it. A lot of people, um, when, it, when it comes to this idea of God's will, they're like, oh, I, I've just been looking, I've been praying, I've been trying to figure it out. And it's like some cosmic Easter egg hunt where, you know, God's over there in the corner watching all of his children run around the yard looking for eggs. And he's, he's going, warmer. Warmer, 
cold, you're getting cold, warm, go that way, warmer, warmer, hot, hot, right? And that's what it's like when we're trying to follow and find God's will. And that's the way we look at it is like, I can't find it. I've been going this way and it's just not happening. I'll try this way. And it's not a random thing. What if trying to find God's will um, and understand it and really follow it, what if it wasn't some secret? What if this idea of God's will is not some crazy mystical thing that you have to read eight books to figure out and pray and fast before you can actually find what it is? What if God is actually more concerned about you finding his will than you are finding his will? In fact, he is. He's so concerned with you finding and understanding and living in his will that he sent his son to die for us and then the Holy Spirit afterwards to enable us and able to live it. God is much more concerned about you finding his will for your life than you are even. That's the good news. It's not lost and we we were able to find it. Um, The bottom line today, God desires for me to follow his will so much that he lives in me to accomplish it. Now we can close in prayer. No, I'm kidding. That's that's really, that's the full thing. It is. God desires for me to follow his will so much that he lives in me to accomplish it. It reminds me of uh, you trying to teach somebody how to do something and they can't figure it out. and They keep messing up and finally, eventually, you get frustrated and you're like, just let me do it. I'll show you. (laughs) Right? And then you do it. Without the frustration and stuff, I think with God, he is in you and he's just like, let me do it. Just... Just let me do it. I'll do it. I'm in you. Let me take care of it. I'll do it. And we're like, no, I got this, bro. I got this. <laughs> ah, shoot. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's how it is. God is in us, and he desires uh, for us to allow him to, um, well, really just to get out of the way and let him do it. So let's go ahead and, uh, and start jumping into some of this. You're saying today, uh, at least some of you might be, how many of you guys are wondering what God's will is for your life? How many of you guys think you have an idea? How many of you guys are liars? Okay. Um, all of your hands should have gone up. All right? We're all liars. Um, all right. Uh, here, here's the, the root issue, I think. Um, how many of you guys prayed before to God to say, God, where should I go to college? How many of you guys prayed before you married your spouse saying, God, should I marry this person? More hands. <laughs> Um, how many of you guys pray when you go to a new church saying, is this a church for me? How many of you guys pray before big decisions in your life? Okay. How many of you guys pray day to day? Um, a bunch of righteous people. All right. Here's the deal, guys. Um, yeah, there you go, Pastor. Um, for, uh, for a lot of us, and at least most of the people I encounter, and granted, my, my major experience is with, is with youth, uh, but even adults that I've worked with, I, I find this kind of to be the, the principle. We don't want to practice. We just want to wait for game day, right? You can't walk through this life, get to game day, and say, God, who's this team I'm playing? Um, I hope you can show me the plays that I need to run in order to best handle them. Um, I hope you can give me the direction of who I should put in, who I should go to. Um, you can't do that, okay? If you guys have heard you practice, or you play like you practice, Heads up band that's coming to you guys this week. <laughs> um, we're going to worship. The band's going to worship like we do when we do in practice. And if in practice we don't, when we're up here, we're going to have a lot harder time worshiping. When it comes to God's will, if you're not seeking God's will daily when it comes to game day and you've got a big decision to make, 
and you try to pull out the Jesus card, you might not be able to hear what's going on, right? You play like you practice. So a lot of us act like or seem like we don't know what God's will is for our life because we get to game day and we have no clue what to do because we didn't practice. We didn't practice. Um, when it comes down to it, how many of you guys, this is the last time I'm probably have you raise your hands. Um, <laughs> I just like participation. That makes me feel good. Um, thanks, Tim. I don't even have to ask. Uh, how many of you guys um, are approaching or in the middle of a major decision? Some sort. Kids, school, house. Okay. Um, you guys, you're going you're gonna to play like you practice. And another thing, I'm just trying to get all these out of the way before we dive into Scripture. A, a lot of the things that hinder us from, from seeking God's will is worry. Um, this is something that God brought to the surface this week while I was preparing. Um, and this is some of the distractions that kind of culminated yesterday for me. Um, I worry about so much. And uh, I am not typically um, a control guy. Uh, and I've... I've <laughs> I found out why I made a switch to being kind of a control guy. Um, it's because of this. <laughs> I, I'm not just responsible for myself anymore. Um, and, and what's funny is I've, I've been responsible for a part of the church and, and stuff before that, but it, it hasn't really clicked um, until uh, this past week. Um, I am a, a giant softy, and I don't just mean soft. I mean in general. Um, <laughs> you guys know that the movie I hate the most in the world is what? Marley and me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they said, all right, do we want to make money on this movie or do we want to make people cry? Let's make people cry. That sounds fun. Uh, screw the money, right? And that's what they made. They made Marley and me. Um, my, my puppy, uh, Bruno, uh, my little boy, uh, was sick yesterday. He was puking his guts out and he couldn't hold anything down. And I ended up washing my jeans three times. Um, <laughs> but not really, just once. Um, but he, he's not doing well. And for me, as a dog person, wanted to be a vet before I got called into ministry. I'm like, okay, what do I do? Um, he, he's looking puny. He's laying down. He's looking up at it, looking like, it hurts, it hurts. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, and, and I just, my brain starts going to the worst case scenario. I'm like, man, I got to preach today. I'm going to get up in the morning, and he's going to be dead in his crate and his vomit, and I'm just, ah, I'm going to go to the church, and I'm just, ah, I'm not going to be able to hold it together. All this stuff is playing through my mind, and uh, Nurse Jessica is listening to bowel movements on him, and he's laying down, and he's just staring at me, and I'm just like, I can't do it. God. And then all these questions start running through my head. God, why would you do this to a five-month-old dog? Why would you do this to me when we don't have any money? I called the emergency vet, and they want $90 just to look at him on top of what any test would be. I can't do that. I can't. I gotta, it, and probably what frustrated me beyond anything is, is two things. I'm helpless. I can't help him at all. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. I don't have the money to afford any help for him. Um, I don't have uh, any of the knowledge and how to take care of him other than pull his food and water because that's what they said. <laughs> I'm helpless. And then what really made it uh, kind of hit home and made this whole entire week just really hit is... Um, if we're going to talk about God's sovereignty today, you have to be firmly rooted. I'm sorry, if we're going to talk about God's will today, you have to be firmly rooted in his sovereignty. If God has a plan for your life, that means he's sovereign, right? He has to be. And so when I'm approaching, trying to preach and still prepare for this message last night, and I have been face-to-face with this, this possibility, 
um, over something as, as stupid, I admit, as a dog. And I'm saying, God, I don't, you're sovereign, why? Why are you doing this? Why? And uh, it, it bothered me a lot that something as simple and stupid as that um, could maybe shake my faith some and make me say, why am I, why are you doing this, right? So we're going to wrestle with God's will today and, uh, and try to seek it, okay? Let's hop into Galatians 2.20. Little background here. Um, this is uh, Paul writing, um, and uh, he uh, is going to call out Peter. Okay, uh, this is the Peter, uh, the the Apostle Peter, um, who was kind of leading the Jerusalem church at the time. And uh, there's these guys that are called the Judaizers. Have you heard of them before? Judaizer sounds like a kitchen appliance. Um, they are they're they're Jews. Okay, who were converted to Christ. Uh, but they wanted, they said, yeah, follow Christ. Christ is the way. But you also need to follow the Jewish laws, okay? And so you hear about them talking about circumcision. So yes, yeah, so you have to, you have to get, you, Jesus is the way, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the Jewish law, right? And it, it, we see that similar, very, very similar pictures today. Yes, Jesus is the way, but you need to be baptized for salvation. Yes, Jesus is the way, but you need to speak in tongues for salvation. Yes, Jesus is the way. But you need to give penance and Catholic stuff in order to be saved, right? That's the same thing, guys. It really is. When it comes down to it, Jesus is the only way or he's not. You can't add anything to him. You cannot add the law. And that's what they're trying to do. Uh, so we get into here. Let's go ahead and read. Uh, let's jump up to verse 11 and we get some uh, context for what we're going to be talking about. It says, But when Cephas, or Peter, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Um, Paul doesn't mince words. He just says what he, what he feels like saying. Um, he's going into Peter, and he's, he's writing about Peter. This for before certain men came from James, um, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I'm sorry, I just jumped a verse. Fearing the circumcision party, verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically among with, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were too found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant or is he a promoter of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And verse 20 is our gem. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, and Christ died for no purpose. Today, we're guys, we're going to talk about the transformation of the will, okay? Um, it's not a matter of finding the will of God. It's a matter of taking your will and transforming it into his. How do we do that? How do we transform our will into his will? I'm getting three points for you. The first one, Christ gives us a new identity, all right? 
Christ gives us a new identity. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're talking about crucifixion here, okay? Uh, when we are crucified, we are united with Christ. And everything about our Christian faith revolves around the cross. That's why we wear them. Uh, that's why, no, it's not why we wear them. We wear them because they're jewelry. Uh, but that's why we look to the cross. That's what we should be thinking when we wear them. Uh, when we use them as cool little backgrounds, when we, whatever it may be, guys, it all revolves around the cross. It's not some symbol. It's a, a moment in time where our lives and our destiny was transformed. As there's a great exchange at the cross um, of Christ. And you see Paul boasting in the cross. The cross is not something that you should boast in. The cross is an instrument of death. When we're carrying our cross daily, when we're laying down our life, a cross is something that will end in our death. How do you boast in that? How do you boast in that when you're a Christian martyr who is not only hung on a cross but burned on the cross? When you're a Christian martyr hung upside down on the cross? How do you boast in something like that? Because there's a great exchange that happens at the cross that allows us to boast in the cross, that allows us to see that we have a new identity in Christ. Um, let's look at... Uh, your next point's on there, right? The great exchange at the cross. The first one. What happened at the cross? At the cross, I gave him my sin, but he gives me his righteousness. At the cross, I gave him my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As our best is like filthy rags. Our best is like filthy rags. We see in the Bible that he, he says that uh, even my best works, my righteousness is like rubbish. It's like poop. <laughs> Seriously, that, that's what he's saying. My best. So, and guys, what does this mean? This means that even when you come here to church and you sing out to God and you call that your best or when you go and you serve even the homeless, if it's not done through the grace of Christ and if it's not done for the cause of Christ, it is sin and it is rubbish. As even the tears of our repentance need to be washed in the blood of Christ. We were capable of nothing good apart from God. So when we go to the cross, we give him our best. And our best is still synonymous with sin. So we give him our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Next thing. I give him my slavery. He gives me his freedom. We read slavery as the law. Um, we were bound to the law before. We were slaves to the law. We we're no longer slaves to the law. We were slaves to righteousness. I give him my slavery. He gives me his freedom. We are no longer subject to the law. We are able to live in freedom in Christ. Next thing, I gave him my defeat, and he gives me his victory. Romans 8 talks about by sending uh, his own son in the likeness of sinful uh, flesh and for our sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4 in Romans 8 says, in order that the righteousness, or I'm sorry, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now, if we were to walk in our flesh and try to obey the law and live through the law on our own, we'd fail. We can't do it. That's kind of the point of the law is to point out that we can't do it and that we need something else. So if we live in our own flesh, we're not going to be able to, to, to fulfill this law. We cannot earn or achieve our own salvation. We need him. And when we give him our defeat, he gives us our victory. Because now, in or he has uh, given his own son to us, sending his own son. 
uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order to, all because now the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us. So where we couldn't do it on our own, we now can because we have Christ in us. That's victory. Keep going. We give him our judgment and he gives us his mercy. Romans chapter 3 talks about how no one will be deemed righteous by observing the law. Even if you could live the law to its fullest, you won't be deemed righteous. Again, can't do it ourselves. That's why this exchange happens at the cross where we give him what we have and he gives us what he has. He gives us his mercy. Last one, I give him my death. He gives me his life. Romans chapter 6, I love this, I love this chapter. Um, I had it memorized at one point, and I'm really trying to continue to get back to that. Um, Romans chapter, chapter 6, if you want to flip there, you can. I don't think it's up there. Uh, we're, we just changed uh, editions of ProPresenter, and I don't know how to use the Bible anymore on there. Um, so we're going to use our real ones. <laughs> um, Romans chapter 6, verse 5. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for, no one, or for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. As we are united in his death, that exchange at the cross is us dying with him, and we are brought to new life. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Now is it, how do you boast in the cross? and Why does it seem like a negative thing? It's a good thing to be crucified with Christ. It's a good thing. We can find all of these things at the cross. We find righteousness, our freedom, victory, mercy, life. All that exchange happens at the cross. It's a good thing to be crucified with Christ. Our new identity is him. We're united with him. So when Christ gives us a new identity, where does the will play into all of this? If I'm no longer just Rusty Johnson, but I'm united with Christ, what happens to Rusty's will? What happens to Greg's will? What happens to Nate's will? When we're united with Christ, what happens to that will? Well, if you go on to your next point, it says our will is now lost in him. Our will is now lost in him. It's Christ's will, and I've surrendered everything to him. When you die to yourself, you'll die to everything about you. When you pick up your cross, you die to yourself. So now that you're united with Christ in life and righteousness and victory and all of that, we now have his will. That's the, the plan, at least, okay? Our will should be lost in him. It's not that we don't have one anymore. It's that it's lost inside of his as a Christian, guys, we've, we've sacrificed the right to determine the direction of our lives. Okay, so when you come in here, you say, what's God's will for my life? That's the right question. The problem is, is we're looking for something that suits us. It's something that suits us. We want to be able to make a decision about it, right? Um, a lot of it is an issue of fear. Um, being told to do something that maybe you're not comfortable with, right? 
Um, I think the problem with fear when it comes to God's will, because, I mean, there is a, it can be a great amount of unknown, right? It can be a great amount of unknown. Um, when I was uh, approached by Matt to complaint renovation, um, we hadn't talked in like three, four years probably. Um, we grew up in youth ministry together, and he was two years older than I. Um, so he left uh, right as I was kind of entering into my own as a junior and a senior um, uh, to go to school. Um, and uh, then I was like, I drew the short straw for his wedding and was the guy on the end that just kind of waves. Um, and uh, and then I, I went to school and I didn't see him again. I mean, that it, it was it. And uh, it had been several years. And then he, he, I think, emailed or called me or something. And it was like, hey, you want to, I'll get you lunch. Dude, I haven't talked to you in forever, and you're buying me steak. I'm there. <laughs> um, so he took me to Outback uh, after I finished refing a bunch of games at, uh, at First Baptist for Upward. And, um, and we talked about it, and, and then I said, I'm, I'm going to have to pray. I, I have no idea. Um, I'm in the transition right now as it is. Uh, let's see what's going on. So I, t- I took a little while uh, to pray through it, and I was talking to my mentor um, there. And uh, he said, so, so what's your decision? <laughs> What has God shown you? I said, the only reason I don't want to do it is because of money. And that's not a good, good enough reason. And there's a lot of fear wrapped up into that. I could have gone somewhere and gotten paid easily what I needed to live. This is before I'm even married. And uh, I, I could have done that. And um, I, 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 by the grace of God, I didn't. Uh, because I would not trade any amount of money for what has happened here and what God has done here. And I do not want to, I, I would be so mad if I missed what happened, what's happened here over the past couple of years. All because I was afraid. All because I was afraid. I think we forget who we're surrendering to when we're looking for God's will. Um, you know, this it's is twice in the, in the Gospels. Uh, one is Matt uh, seven eleven. The other is Luke eleven thirteen. Uh, they both say the same thing. Because if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Because we need to remember who we're asking, who we're following, who we need to trust. It's God our Father. I imagine with you, if you will, with me, dad's in the room. All right, I'm talking to y'all. Um, imagine your, your, your squirt comes up to you, okay, um, and says, you know what, God, or dad, <laughs> might be God, depends on how you address each other in the house. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what, dad, uh, I, I was thinking about it, you know, and Miss Kim was talking to me. I'm going to give her some credit here. Uh, Miss Kim was talking to me. And uh, you know what? Whatever you tell me to do this week, I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm not going I'm, I'm to ask questions. I'm not going to argue. I'm just I'm going to do whatever you told me to do this week. I'm sorry, Isaac. I didn't, I didn't mean this for you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. All right. Now, dads, are you, are you, okay, after you get up off the floor, um, are you saying, <laughs> all the housework's getting done this week, right? This is going to be a week you never forget. Is that what you're saying to yourself? Maybe first, I and mean, then once you're sanctified, uh, you <laughs> you say, you know what? Okay, son I, or daughter, I pr- I appreciate that. I, I'm good. I want to lead you this week. Uh, I want to help you uh, see what you need to do. Um, that's the approach that uh, that most of us want to have uh, with our kids, right? Uh, we don't want bad things for them, and we who are evil, we are children of wrath. We are born in sin. And we know nothing good all by ourselves. We are totally depraved. If we who are evil know to give good things to those that we love, how much more so with God who is good will he give good things to his children? And that is huge. We can trust him. We can trust him. 
I don't know, in that same vein, um, how do you approach Sunday mornings when you come here? You come in here and say, all right, you know what, whatever Pastor Matt says, Elder Matt, whatever, <laughs> says, um, or, or Rusty says, I'm, I'm going to do. No questions asked, I'm just, I'm going to do it. Or what if like after we're done here and we're, we're talk, sitting around and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Russ, can you do me a favor? What do we typically say? Well, what, what is it? <laughs> right? What is it? What am I committing to? <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing uh, to say. I don't want to label it like that. But that's typically what we say. Um, when maybe our answer could just be, sure, what's up? <laughs> a lot of times we want to hear what, the, what it's going to cost, what it is, how much we're investing, and then make a decision, Right? The problem is, is that translates here when we're, we're looking at God's word. God says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, well, well what is it? And too many times when we approach the scripture and you, there are churches out there that do this, and I pray that we never become one of them, but we, uh, and they rather, um, approach scripture saying, what does it say? Okay, I'll do that. What does it say? I, let's not preach on that anymore. And they, and they just avoid it. We can't do that. You have to take the whole counsel of Scripture. Even when it doesn't feel good. Guys, I didn't feel good yesterday. I didn't feel good having my faith questioned by a dog. It's, we don't get to decide, guys. When we become Christians, and a lot of this, guys, is pretty much this is for Christians. If you are not saved or don't claim to be a Christian... Um, a lot of this probably won't make sense in the first place, uh, as you, and you'll, we'll talk about why later. Um, but guys, when you are, become a Christian, you, you sacrifice the right to decide anymore. All right? Your future is decided for you. God has plans for you to benefit you, to prosper you, not to harm you. We lay down our will and become lost inside of his. Let's go to number two. Number two is Christ gives us a new direction. All right, so you're saying to me, all right, well, I still have a decision to make. You haven't really given me anything practical. Come on, preacher, application. Give me something practical. How do I make this decision? All right, well, let's look at some contemporary ways um, of discovering the will of God. Um, when we're trying to find direction, this is, this is some typical ways that m- most people will try to approach figuring out that direction, all right? Uh, number one is the random finger method. Don't lie. How many of you guys have done this before? You scan through the Bible and point, right? What happens when you open up to like, I don't know, Psalm 124.5, the raging waters will sweep us away. How encouraging is that? All right? God, I don't know where to go to college. The raging waters will sweep you away. Okay. Uh, Let's try again. We do not yet have what we want, so we wait patiently for it. Let's try again. Uh, uh, a man will leave his father and his mother and join with his wife. Um, Isaac, I don't care if it's in the Bible. It's not for you right now, okay? Um, <laughs> did you guys try the random finger method? I can't see your faces. I'm looking for hands. You guys are so righteous. Um, liars, all of you. Um, all right, well, I've done the random finger method, and I've not just done it once. I've just, all right, let's try like three out of five. Uh, it doesn't work, right? Um, the miraculous event method. You guys heard of that? 
miraculous event method. All right, so we got like Paul, not Paul, Moses. <laughs> this is the Old Testament. Uh, Moses with the uh, burning bush. How many of you guys have seen a burning bush? None. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, how many of you have had a vision on your way to stone some Jews or Christians like, uh, like Paul on the road to Damascus? No one? Okay, well, this doesn't seem like a very popular one. Um, I didn't, probably not someone that you go after. You've heard of people saying, uh, hey, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for a vision, you know. See what God, God's going to tell me what he wants me to do. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Uh, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything while I'm waiting. <laughs> just waiting, right? Okay. Uh, next one. This one's probably my favorite. Um, the striking coincidence method. All right? The striking coincidence method. All right, so you're asleep. Okay, you're asleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. You look at your clock. It's 2.22. No, don't think nothing of it. You're like, all right, well, I've got five hours left of sleep. I'll sleep back down. All right, you go to sleep. You wake back up. You look at the clock. It's 3.33. <laughs> Just saying. Like, all right, well, that was kind of weird. Um, I'm going to go back to sleep. You wake down. You wake back up. It's 5.55. Jess, Jess, wake up. We have to sell the house. We have to. Why? God told me. All right? And, and I know there's no 666, so uh, that won't work. So 555 is like it. That has to be it, right? What happens later? You're driving around, and you decide to go to Taco Bell, and this happens. <laughs> Possibilities are limitless now, okay? You're no longer confined to 60 minutes and a clock, okay? You can go to six. You can go to seven. These really happened to me, okay? <laughs> In November of 2010, it took me a long time to find the pictures, but uh, it really happened, okay? Um, didn't do it on purpose, all right? Um, see, the, the problem with the striking coincidence method is like 666 could be a double meaning, right? <laughs> um, it's the number of the beast, I shouldn't eat Taco Bell anymore. Or maybe I'm just going to have a really bad reaction to this. You're always going to have a bad reaction to Taco Bell. Okay? It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> this is just not how those things work. Um, so maybe, um, you know, you think God's trying to tell you something in the striking uh, coincidence method. So you wake up, you see 222, 333, 444, 555, right? Um, God may not be telling you to sell the house, okay? Um, he may be telling you to take NyQuil so you can sleep through the entire night. Um, <laughs> all right, that one's my favorite. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Next one, the cast the fleece method. Have any of you heard of this? This one's a little bit more religious. <laughs> um, this one sounds religious. It sounds biblical. It sounds like something we should do. I've heard people say this all the time. Well, I'm just going to cast the fleece and see what God does. Uh, let's remember that the story that the casting of the fleece comes from is Gideon, right? Uh, Gideon is a pansy. And uh, the problem with... Uh, some, not a problem, but we need to remember that in Scripture, not every story that we have is necessarily for us to imitate, okay? Um, there are prostitutes in there. There are people that run away from cities, turn back, and turn into salt. Um, those aren't things that we imitate, right? Um, there are examples for us. They're not examples to imitate always. Uh, some things are, um, but uh, the majority, a lot of the Old Testament is not. I don't care if you're up on your roof and you look down your window and see down in somebody else's window and see a lady taking a bath, it doesn't mean that you should do what David did and have an affair with her and kill her husband. And, okay, that's not what we imitate. 
Um, and two, if we're going to imitate somebody, let's pick better people to imitate. Getting in is a fancy. And uh, we have to remember that casting of the fleece in the first place was an expression of his lack of faith in the first place. Not only did, did he not need to cast the fleece, he already knew exactly what God's will for his life was. An angel came to him and said, hey, go do this. He's like, ah, I don't know. I need to pray about this. I'm going to cast the fleece. Okay, God, if, if this is what you want me to do, I know you came here and said it, but this is what you want me to do. Dad, Dad, if you really want me to clean my room, I'm going to sleep tonight. And, uh, and when I wake up, make the ground around my bed really wet and my bed dry. And, I, and then I'll know it's your will. I know you want me to clean my room. Um, so he wakes up. Holy crap. The ground is wet and his bed is dry. But, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just turned the, the hose on in my room and he's trying to be funny. Uh, Dad, if you really want me to clean my room tonight when I'm sleeping, <laughs> make my bed wet. Um, <laughs> And make the floor around me really dry, all right? And wake up in the morning, hallelujah, it is God's will. I'm going to clean my room. Gideon is not who we want to imitate, guys. The casting the fleece message, first of all, allows you to dictate the terms to God, which is not okay. Um, and second of all, it's an expression of a lack of faith in the first place. Uh, the next one, this one's biblical, the open door method, right? I'm just waiting for God to open doors. I'm guilty of saying this a lot uh, because I think God does open doors. Um, here's the problem. It is not the method that we need to use to decide and discern God's will. If you will with me, flip over to 1 Corinthians 16.8. 1 Corinthians 16.8. We see an open door, okay? This is typically where people run to you and they say, I'm just waiting for God to open a door for me. 1 Corinthians 16.8 says, and this is uh, Paul uh, talking again, um, as he typically does in the New Testament. Uh, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Um, here's the problem. If you flip over a little bit more to the right to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 12, we see this. As when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So here we have an example of Paul seeing an open door but not going through it. That the Lord opened. That mean he sinned? <laughs> no. Open doors do not necessarily mean go, right? Uh, closed door method. This one makes sense, right? I'm just going to keep... And I, I said this when I was... Uh, trying to decide what I wanted to do after when I was at First Baptist. I was like, all right, well, God, I'm just going to walk. Open door, awesome. Open door, two open doors. Pray, pray, pray. This is the open door for me. Uh, walk, 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 walk. Close doors. I'm going to stop and wait. Wait for God to open a door. They're all closed. What do I do? Closed door method doesn't necessarily lead us to where we need to go. Um, if we look in uh, Acts chapter 20, um, you see the elders speaking to, to Paul. Paul needs to go back to Jerusalem. Um, and the, the elders are saying, hey, I, dude, don't go, man. They're going to arrest you. They're going to they're gonna imprison you. And they're probably going to kill you. Huh. you. Don't go back there, dude. Don't. And uh, we see um, him say, they're saying you may die. And Paul says, nevertheless, I'm compelled to go. With a closed door. He may die. He may be in prison. He may, all of that. And he's still compelled to go with a closed door. 
Because we have this Western idea that whatever God's will is for our life is comfortable. It's safe. It's secure. God, if it's going to bring me harm, it must not be your will. And while we'll never say that out loud, we never take the risk to go crashing through that closed door and open it. His will may be for you to go to India. It may be for you to go to China and, and teach English and be able to share uh, the gospel through that. It may be to go to Haiti and get malaria and die. It may be just because it's not comfortable or it's safe doesn't mean that it's not prosperous for you. He says, my plans are to bring you, to prosper you. Prosper doesn't always mean financial gain or even safety, right? It means to grow, to give in addition to, right? Just because we're not gaining life or finances doesn't mean we're not gaining treasures in heaven that we're supposed to store up, right? Closed door doesn't work. Last one. This one uh, is pretty biblical too, right? It's still a small voice method. We can look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, I believe, I can't never remember these. It's either, I think it's Elijah. It might be Elisha. They're similar but different. Um, one of them um, is running, all right? And, uh, and he's, he's freaking out. And there's this earthquake, but God's not there. Uh, there's a, this, um, this great wind, but God's not in that. There's this huge firestorm, which just freaked the crap out of me. Um, the firestorm, and God's not in it, right? But then, then there's this still, small voice. And it's God. God's speaking to him. Okay, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's something for us to imitate. We're talking about making a huge decision, right? Um, isn't there like a, just an overwhelming sense of emotions and feelings and different voices and people tugging at you different directions when you have to make a decision, right? Trying to decide what school to go to, trying to decide who to marry, um, trying to decide what job to take. There's tons of emotions in that. Even so much that you could be praying with your wife and say, hey, let's, let's journey in this together. What is God telling you about this? And your wife says, I don't think we need to do it. And you're like, I, I think we do. Well, let's spend some more time praying. And then the next time you guys come together, you flip-flopped. And she's saying, I think we need to do this. And you're like, I don't know. There's so many emotions that kind of wrap up into that. How are you supposed to discern which is a still small voice? How are we supposed to rely on our feelings in that sense? I'm not saying that there can't be a peace that God gives you, but your peace doesn't come from a still small voice, okay? All right, let's move on to the, the biblical method for discovering the God, the will of God. The faith method, if you will. It's not in the Bible anywhere um, as a name specifically. But the faith method. We call all the other ones a method, the faith method. Um, in the New Testament, we see no example of seeking the will of God except for when they needed to replace Judas and they cast lots. But that is before the coming of the Holy Spirit um, who empowers us now. We have God in us. But we see no example of anybody trying to dis discover and seek the will of God. No examples whatsoever. Um, if we're talking about the faith method and you're saying, well, that's duh, right? I mean, you come to church and there's a couple of words that get you the answer every time, right? Jesus, faith, grace, Jesus, right? Faith, yeah, okay, I, I knew that before I came in here. Thank you. Um, how does that help me? How do I use this method? Um, guys, I have no, no basis scripturally to give you three steps on, on what to do. Um, I do, however, um, can, I can, however, based on scripture, tell you um, that the faith method is your method. 
Okay, it is. Um, and I'll tell you why I know this. Um, the problem with faith is uh, we use it as a Sunday school answer. Um, and uh, faith kind of gets relegated to just salvation only, right? You have saving faith. And that's kind of the end of it, right? And now we're just we're being sanctified. Doesn't faith still fit in somewhere, right? I mean, we look at our, uh, at our text and it says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life I now live, I live by, by. I live by. This is how I live. By faith. It's not just salvation. It's not simply that moment in time when I was redeemed and regenerated. It is not, it's not it. It continues on. You know, ongoing faith. We live by that. Um, it's not... The approach that we typically take is, how do I live for Christ? Right? Have you asked yourself that? How do I live for Christ? And today, Lord, I get up, I get out of bed, and I say, God, I'm going to live for you. How do I live for you today? It's not what we're talking about. A life of faith is, is learning how to let him live through us. It goes back to trust. It goes back to our new identity of being unified with him in the cross. It comes here to a new direction. It's not a direction that you're deciding. We don't decide the direction for our life anymore. Our will is overtaken by him. It's lost in him. And now we live through him. We don't live for him. We live through him. So we've got the faith method. Um, back to uh, back to the example of uh, of the kid. Um, you uh, you don't get to decide when you come in here. If it's God's word, you get to do it. All right. You don't get to determine your direction. Uh, it's not how you live for Christ. It's letting Him live through us. And it's not about finding out what you're going to do on game day and ignoring practice. Because knowing God's will is secondary. It is secondary to simply knowing God. Knowing God's will is secondary to simply knowing Him. I mean, let's be honest. If God wanted to, He could show you His will. Easy, right? He could write it on the walls. He could yell it at you. No one needs, I mean, who needs a still small voice? God could just bam, right? He can do that. We'd all agree that he can do that. Why does he never do that? Why does he never do that? It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey with him. It's, it's knowing his will is secondary to knowing him. If I'm going to walk with God, I'm just going to follow him, Right? Have you ever taken a walk with like your dogs or something and you guys get up and you, you're walking outside, you get up to the corner of the street and they kind of stop and they look back at you like, are we going straight? Are we turning? Are we crossing the street? My brain's this big. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? And, and they look back and they wait and uh, they, you kick them. Go straight, stupid. Right? And we're like, where else would you go? There's two other options, man. <laughs> uh, my dogs talk to me. So uh, I'm walking with them and, and they, they stop and they look. Now, if I am walking with God, I'm going to, where are we going, dude? It's not up to me. I'm not saying, let's walk that way, right? It's not up to us. I don't get to determine direction anymore. If I'm walking with him, I get to go where he goes. And so, not only does he enable us, not only does he, he does show us, guys. We'll, we'll talk about that. But he, he shows you and he also enables you. We have the Holy Spirit in us now. And since we know God, we know where we're going. I, I am continuing to learn and know my wife, there are things that I don't have to ask her if she wants, right? 
Um, I know her well enough that I can, for the majority, if I want to do something nice for her, get her some food, whatever, I, I can, unless she's having some specific craving, which happens, and uh, a lot, and no, we're not pregnant. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, can, I can usually, I, I can go to Teak's and get some uh, crab rangoon. I can make sushi. I can uh, get her chocolate. I can get her chocolate. I can get her chips with uh, dip because she likes salty. Um, in fact, I'll typically just do all of them, so I <laughs> land it, right? Um, don't have to worry about the cravings anymore. Um, I, I know the things that I can do to help her uh, and all that, and, and I'm learning that more and more. Um, but God knows us. He created us. He knows us intimately. He knows what is best for us. So he not only lives and shows us, he enables us by living in us and by doing it, if we would just quit trying to decide our own direction. Now, as much as it, when we come in here and we say, all right, what's the, what's the will of God for my life? Because for me, I look at, and you, you might have heard me refer to it this way, I call it my man plan. Have you guys heard me say that before? My man plan um, is to do this, and then this will happen in, in June, and then this is supposed to happen, you know, in September, and then by this time next year, we'll be here. That's my man plan. Okay, there's nothing wrong with having a man plan. Being a good steward and trying to, and trying to figure out the best thing for us to do, right? Um, all that, though, and the reason I call it a man plan and not just my plan is because it's secondary to what God has for me, right? Um, as I discover and, and walk with him more, he leads me and gives me direction on where to go. The problem is when I originally wanted to know what God's will was for my life, I wanted a big picture. I wanted a road map. And the road map, uh, the will of God is not a road map. Um, it's a relationship whereby Christ gradually overtakes our will. It's hard to lay it all down at once. It just is, okay? Um, and as we walk with him, um, we lay more of it down and more of it down. And when we walk in here and say, God, what's your will for my life? We're not going to get some printout of here's where you go. That's just not what's going to be what happens. It's a matter of him overtaking our will through a relationship with him. Um, and ultimately, it's to become uh, one with, his, uh, with himself. Uh, how many of you guys, most of you are married. Um, I like participation again. I told you that. We're going to participate some more. Who knows the, the easiest or quickest way to get from point A to point B? Straight line, right? Straight line. Point A to point B, right? What if God's will wasn't? It's not like that, okay? It's just not like that. Um, how many of you guys, when you, got, when you met your wife, um, the next week you went and got married? I mean, that's the quickest way, right? Point A to point B? Let's just get it done. Met her, married, done. Right? No, no. Typically, if it was like my relationship, it looked like this. Yeah. Okay. Not only did we make progress, uh, but we got lost. And then we went backwards. Then we went forwards and then decided this was the way. Okay, that's what it looks like. It's a journey, right? It was a relationship. It's a journey. And we ultimately got to point B. Is there anything wrong with taking that path as opposed to the straight line. No, in fact, that one's better. Each one of those dots is a different thing that I learned or she learned or something that we learned together, a point where we grew, a point where we got to experience something together. That's what my walk with Christ looks like. Because if I'm not at B yet, <laughs> I'm still probably at like the third one, maybe. And then I'm getting ready to go forward, as you can see, and then we're going way back, Okay. <laughs> Um, that, that's what my walk with Christ looks like because it's a journey. Um, as we develop our relationship with Christ, we, he gradually overtakes our will 
And it's to become with one with him um, as we do a few things, right? The next points in your outline say this. Trust in his word. We have to trust in his word. We have to trust in him as our father and we have to trust in his word. We can't be praying for the will of God in our life and completely ignoring what we do know. You can't say, God, I, I want to live for you. I want to live for you, but at the same time, you're living with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. You're lying to your spouse. You're stealing money from your job. You're not coming to church. You're not holding up to your other commitments. The things that you know to do that are in his word already, you're not doing but you're saying, God, I want to know what your will is for my life so I can do it, but I'm not going to do what you've already shown me. So show me more, right? It's not, we can't do that. We become more uh, like him as we trust in his word, as we pray for his desires. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new identity. My will is not gone. So how do I make it like his? No, I have to pray for my desires to be his. Desires. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, what, are, what kind of desires are you going to have? It's not a, well, if I delight in the Lord, he'll give me my million dollars, right? It's not going to be your desire when you're delighting yourself in the Lord. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires become like his. As we walk in his will daily, not event to event, it's an active journey. Like I said at the beginning, it's not just about game day. You have to practice. You have to practice. And some days you have to practice really hard. You have two and three days. Some days it's a little easier, but you practice nonetheless. You don't want to, okay, you think my drum, sucks right, my drum skills suck right now? Um, I cannot practice this week, and uh, we can all have fun next Sunday, all right? Um, as it takes us 40 minutes to get through worship. Uh, as we restart eight times on everything. Um, Daily, 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 daily walk with him. When it comes to the will, we just, we get so consumed in the gravity of the decisions that we have to make, right? Making a decision for college is huge. If I don't pick the right college, my life is over. I'm going to completely miss the will of God for my life. My spouse will be there like mine was at this church plant, and I will never see her because I went to the wrong school, Right? What about when it comes to marriage? Marriage is a huge decision, all right? Trying to find the person that God has for you, specifically for you, right? What happens if I pick the wrong one? That means somebody else is getting my girl, and I took somebody else's girl, so they're going to get the wrong person, and then they're going to get the wrong person. I'm single-handedly going to destroy the entire marriage chain. <laughs> I'm not okay with this, Right? There's a huge, huge magnitude when it comes to some of these decisions. So what do you do? What do you do? You quit praying for God to give you more when you already know what you're supposed to do. If you don't know what to do, do what you already do know. Don't just sit there. Don't just beg God for more, for more information. Because we can't handle the truth. <laughs> we just can't. If God told me what my entire roadmap was, if he gave me every point of A to B, I would probably freak out, okay? I don't want to know what's coming in five years. I, I'm, a, I'm honestly, I'm afraid. I, I am. 
I have no, I'm excited. I'm excited about some things. I'm scared out of my mind about others. <laughs> I don't know how I would handle a miscarriage. I'm not even the woman. <laughs> I know how intense it is uh, for ladies. I have no, no stinking clue, but I know it's more than for me. I have no idea how I would handle that. I know some of you may have. I don't know how you, how you do that. I don't know how I would handle the death of a child. I don't know how I'd handle the injury of a child of mine. I'm freaking out over my dog. If God showed me everything that was going to happen in advance, I can't handle that. He is God. I am not. It's not about the roadmap. It's about this relationship. I don't want to oversimplify when, when I say that it's just faith, but it is. You can't ask for what his will is for this grand thing, and we either can't or won't obey the, the, the will that he's and the, the instruction that he's given us now. Um, uh, and we have to face the reality of understanding that what our actions or our will is for our own life is very, very transparent about what our value is for Christ. If you're sitting here not following the will of God for your life that he's revealed now, then what in the world are you doing asking for what's, what's to come? Because you're not really asking, what's your will for me? You're asking, God, what do I need to do for myself? What's the next thing? What can I prepare for? What, me, 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 me. That's what it becomes about. And we lose it. Last thing, instead of trying to figure out his will, God intends for us to become his will. We have to abide in him. John 15, verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, all right, I lost myself. <laughs> Whoever abides in me and I in him, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christ gives us a new purpose. We find our new identity in him. We see that he's the one that decides the direction. And ultimately, we end up with a new purpose. The question is no longer, God, what is your will for my life? The question is now, God, what is your will for human history and how can I align my life with your will? You see what happened here? We went from a man-centered gospel to a God-centered gospel. What's your will for my life? Where am I going? Where am I ending up? Who am I marrying? What school am I going to? What job do I take? It becomes, God, what is, what is most important for your kingdom? And how can I help in that. I read an excerpt to the Wednesday night crowd. Um, I'm not going to read the entire excerpt now, but it it talks about how uh, we look at David in the Old Testament, and we see that God granted him victory. 
right? God gave him victory. David didn't earn it. David didn't do anything special to get it. God gave him the victory. David won because God gave him the victory. How come we read it and we say, oh, wow, what great things David did. Surely David's life must have added, must have forwarded the advancement of, of God's kingdom so much. David's work added, it really gave God's cause a boost today. As if God needed us. God doesn't need us, he uses us. We should be humbled by that. We should be grateful for that. We should be excited about that. God could accomplish what he wanted if he just wanted to do it. But he decides to use the church to be his vehicle to bring the gospel to the world. We get to line up with his will, not him lining up with what we want to do. We live to magnify the grace of God. You look back at our, at our text and you look at Peter. Peter is, is eating um, his food with the Gentiles, okay? And uh, the Judaizers would say, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. So he's eating it all along. But when they show up, he stops eating with them. Because in that, in that situation, he's got one of two options. He can either align himself with what the Judaizers are saying, and saying, yeah, you, you have to follow the dietary laws. Or he can, and, and, and by implication, say to the Gentiles, then what you're not doing is right. I'm sorry, what you, what you were doing is not right. Or he could go ahead and continue eating and it doesn't work either way. He had to make a decision. The problem is the choice that he made, Peter's nullifying the grace of God, right? If you add anything to the grace and the gospel of the cross, if you add anything to it, you nullify the complete, absolutely sufficient grace of God. So Peter's nullifying the grace of God by, by working with these Judaizers. Look at the next one. It says, we work to accomplish the mission of Christ. Peter, in our example, is, is hindering the mission. He's hindering the advancement of the gospel by following his will. Our new purpose lets us line, align ourselves with him. We magnify the grace of Christ. We work to accomplish the mission of Christ. And finally, we die to spread the gospel of Christ. We die to spread the gospel of Christ. We die with him. We united with him on the, and crucified with him so that he can live in us. What's the will of God for my life? When all signs are pointing to yes, when all signs are pointing to no, when all are saying maybe or wait, what is the will of God for my life? We look at our new identity. We look at the direction that he gives us and we realign ourselves with the new purpose that he's given us. That's what the will of God is for your life. You say, well, I still have a decision to make. What decision do I make? You align yourself with the cross of Christ. You die for the mission. Might not be fun, might not be comfortable but you die with him so that he can live in you. Let's go ahead and pray and the band's coming up and uh, we'll have one more song to sing and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Heavenly Father God, I thank you for what you've done for us, Father. Um, not only that you have planned out our days for us, Father, that you have um, given us a clear indication of what your plan for our life is, but Father, that you don't just show us, but Father, you enable us.
Father, that we have the spirit inside of us that allows us to die to ourselves and just let you live through us. Father, I thank you for um, the distractions uh, that you allowed uh, in my life this week, Father, as I took a week that was supposed to be lighter and um, let that apply to my my preparation and and even my heart, Uh, Father, and I forgot the seriousness of um, every chance we get to open the word. God, that we don't get to take a week off. Um, Father, that even on a lighter Sunday, um, there's still life and death at stake. And Father, the distractions that you allowed in my life, um, let me take an honest look at myself uh, to prepare for this, uh, but also, God, that um, you continue to direct my life. Uh, Father, that I have to, when I wrestle with you, I'm not really wrestling with you, I'm trying to die to myself. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given me in that. Father, I ask that you continue. Um, Father, as we dive into some new topics, Father, looking at what the church is is, is and is, is together and what our mission is, Father, that we um, will now understand a little bit more deeply how to align our lives with you. And we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.